Hello and welcome to the nano gang that is not happening when it should be happening, but it's happening anyway. I am your host, Jay Daniel Sawyer, and with me are your other hosts. Kitty Nakin. And Dale Carragher. Hi. Hi. Uh, so I have not written at all yet. This is the beginning of my writing time today, so I haven't written at all yet today. So the episode you just heard, which at the time we're recording this hasn't dropped yet, um, has, uh, has my report from that day but i'm currently sitting at 2760 words in my project which is the weirdest thing i've ever written according to the kind of stuff i normally write so it's going to be interesting yeah, have you already talked about what you're writing or are we going to get I to talk about not. that i was waiting okay for good you. yes <laughs> fantastic good i'm excited about that well we'll each get to talk about what, what we're writing so i have uh for the leaderboard 6526 in mind to start us off now that i mean i'm working on the third book in a series so um those are like notes and things and carried over scenes that didn't go into previous books but you know that's the nature of a third book so we'll we'll be talking about some of that as we go along cool and uh and kitty you haven't had a chance to work on stuff yet today but i have not um i am i start my day at my day jobs and i haven't finished my day job yet for today this is why i think we're gonna need to start off every day talking about what we did the day before if we're keeping this time slot which incidentally for anybody who cares this is it's pretty much me who was like i need a early afternoon time slot (laughs) but uh but yeah some of the uh, we're we're also going to do some experiments like today we're going to experiment with because we're going to be here long enough Uh, we're checking in right now and then we'll check in again at the end of the thing you guys will all hear it all in one episode yeah, but but Dan and I are going to just have Zoom open and write with each other for a while. Well, after, so. You guys will get an idea of what the two of us can do in about two and a half or three hours. Exactly. That'll be fun. Time lapse writers. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. So what are you writing, Gail? Uh, so I am, well, we, we need to take a writing, Gail. What am I writing, Gail? Uh, <laughs> writing, what is writing Gale? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I've spent the entire morning trying to to shovel my brother's SUV out of a ditch. Oh, that's always fun. And, uh, and that didn't work. We shoveled him out, but the thing couldn't get out of the ditch. So we put the battery in my truck because the batteries are out because it's been below negative 10 here and the batteries freeze so it's a nice warm day today it's 30 put the battery in the truck went to start the truck and the truck won't start so and i got far enough along in diagnosing it that i'm pretty sure it's the relay so after writing time today i'm going to go out and test that and if that's the case i can actually jump it and get it running and get it down to the auto parts store otherwise i have to wait (laughs) I have to wait until the neighbor gets back from vacation in a week and a half with the snowplow to plow us out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys. My goodness. So that's where my morning is gone. Anyway, so you were saying about your notes and what you're working on. Right. So I'm working on the third book of the series. It's a sci-fi series. It's young adult. At least I think it's young adult. Feels young adult. It's high concept and it's linked. Now, for anybody who doesn't know me or or anything about the way I write. Normally I come out of traditional publishing and any series I've written have been series in the like sci-fi fantasy sense of the word series where the plot is, there's an overarching plot and each book you need to have read the previous one to really make sense of the next kind of deal, that kind of series, as opposed to romance series, which are linked standalones with shared characters. So this is a sci-fi fantasy, this is a sci-fi series 
Um, but it's the first time I have written a series all for myself without having it going to a traditional publisher and being published as I've written it. Mm. Um, and this is very exciting for me because it means I get to go back and tinker things in the first book while I'm writing the second one. And then as I write the third one, I'll be able to do the same thing where I can do little foreshadows and be like, oh, it'd be really clever. I get to be more clever. I mean, like, it'd be really clever if I like, yeah, it's, it's really, I, unlike Dan, am stopping myself at three books though. This is a three book trilogy. It's how it was conceived in my brain. It works. The whole numerical system of my aliens in this book is based on threes and sixes. So like, it also works for that. Um, so my, the, I've got one trilogy. This <laughs> He says defensively. <laughs> so all that to say, uh, I've written the first two. They're in like post hot hot drafts. They're basically rough draft state. Um, although I write, ten, I tend to write pretty cleanly. They're both about eighty, a little over eighty thousand words. I plan for this one to be about the same thing, same length. And so those six grand that I've already laid in are pretty much just notes from and scenes and little bits and bobs and and like things notes to myself basically that are things that I want to include in the third book. So my plan today is pretty much to kind of go through all of those and start to come up with a solid outline. Like I have a really good, I have this very high concept. So I have a very good idea of the information I need to relay in writing high concept. Um, but I have I don't have a very clean plot in mind yet for this book. Uh, these aren't very plot heavy books in general, but um, so I know I need to hit two planets, but I'm not sure the order of the two planets and a couple of other things that are going on. So that that's that's where I am. The general story so far is it has been a putting together of a musical band in the first book. Um, and then the second one is them on their first tour together. It's like a debut tour. And then this one is going to be, um, they end up at a planet that is building one of the, the kind of concert halls in their civil war going on. So that's what's, that's what's So you're going to, you're actually finished the K-pop trilogy. This is the K-pop trilogy. Yeah. For those who, <laughs> technically it's not like it is really nothing to do with K-pop anymore. Uh, I just did a lot of research into the Halloween wave and the K-pop industry when I was writing these books, but now it's like, it's completely different. But so it's Tinkered Star Songs is the name of the trilogy. And um, the code for this book is D6. So it's D36 is the first one. D12 is the second one. And D6 is the third. So that's how I'll be referring to it. Oh, these are going to be fun. I, I can't wait to read these. They're super fun. They're, they're really freaking fun. I'm having a blast with these books. Nice. So I'm stepping way outside of my comfort zone. I'm doing plot structure that I haven't internalized yet. Oh, God, Dan. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, uh, because the Kickstarter obligated me to write The Secrets of the Heinlein Epics, which I've designated as five of Heinlein's later books that have a rabid following, but most science fiction fans don't like, whereas, mo whereas people that like them tend to be litfic fans. Interesting. That's always, that's always made me curious. So during the uh, lead up to the Kickstarter, I was listening to the audiobooks of those thinking, ah, well, you know, since I'm asking interesting questions about books that were formative to me, why is it that literary people like these and science fiction people hate them? And um, I think the reason is that each of them is patterned after a classic work of literature and all the science fiction tropes are subvert are, are um, subordinate to those uh, those plot structures, which aren't used very much in science fiction. That would have been my first guess. It was like it's not as like 
archetype trope driven. And so it's not appealing to the market in the same way. One of them is basically based on the Arabian Nights and others basically based on the Odyssey and others based on the Epic of Gilgamesh, you know, so it's um, very different. And I thought, yeah, it'd be fun. I haven't flexed my classic mythology plot structure muscles since I was in college. Maybe I should do something to get my head around these plot structures because they're interesting. And uh, then uh, as I was creeping up on this month, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. But, I did, but I did announce these anthologies that we're now shopping. And one of them is the post-growth anthology, imagining a post-growth future type of thing. And someone said, well, why don't you write a post-growth novel? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want it's. I'm going to, no, it's. And then I sat, sat and I thought, and I'm like, actually, you know, that would pair pretty well with the Odyssey. Uh-oh. So that's what I'm doing. It's uh, a... <laughs> It's it's a novel about a guy who gets uh, stuck on the East Coast after he's been banned by the TSA and he's got to come home to the West Coast. And (laughs) as he's doing it, all the supply lines are breaking down. So he goes from a rented car to a beater to a horse as he's trying to get back home. And he's running across all these (laughs) weird little enclaves, you know, a hippie commune, an Amish group, uh, some some street gangs and you know trying to sort of hop hop from each lily pad to the other to find a way home and uh of course like the odyssey you can't really tell this kind of story linearly or it gets boring yes with the odyssey it all starts as a flashback when he's he's explaining to his host that's helping him out and imprisoning him how he got here and what he wants to still do so he's convincing his host to let him go and so I decided, okay, well, I'm going to start it in when he's stuck in Wyoming. And so that's where I'm at. He's in Wyoming in the middle of a blizzard. Someone has just, uh, I'm, I'm about uh, like 2,500 words into it. And the initial point of view character has just tripped over his body in a snowdrift, And he's annoyingly not dead. <laughs> Excellent. So that's where I'm at so far. Excellent. I like it. I'm probably going to have to take off now. Okay. So Kitty is oh, checking oh. out for until later. She'll check back in and tell us what. Oh, uh, okay. I'm I'm very interested in Kitty's side of this equation. As that her her doing marketing stuff is fascinating. I like that side of the writing world as much as the other one. <laughs> do we want to take questions now, or are we going to take questions oh, at the yeah, end? Well, yeah, we do have a question for you. For you specifically, oh. someone sent oh, for, for me. Please ask Gail. Oh, okay. I get a question. How exciting. Take Kitty's microphone out so the recording is clear. All right. So, question for Gail from Tamia. Hi, Tamia. What is your process for developing characters? Oh, dear. Well, I think that's a question both of us can tackle, can't we? For sure. Uh, So, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I technically have a really conscious process. Like, like, it's really hard because I think of characters as like very much like schizophrenic me is like in the brain of the character. And so uh-huh. characters react and change and evolve because that's who they are. And like, it's kind of hard to articulate that. But It's a weird what, kind of method acting, isn't it? It is. It's like method writing. 
but I do think that if you if you're not if you haven't written a lot that that your characters can be quite static and the character doesn't change and that that is that is difficult you know readers readers find that very difficult to relate to um, although you know like I certainly have characters that are unchanging in terms of how they behave like Lord Akaldama is an example of a character that I use all the time turns up in lots of my books is pretty unchanging except mm-hmm. that you the readers know so much more about him. Yep. each time he's, he's a revealed character rather than a growth character yeah and that's the point for me with a character like that because he is an immortal and a vampire he's not meant to change he's meant to represent the sort of staticness and and what's interesting about him is the unhidden is the hidden complexities that are slowly revealed however back to the original question one thing that i got a piece of advice um you know, quite a long time ago, which is the way that romance authors think about characters, which I find very interesting. And I like to bring up with questions like this, which is all characters have voids. And a lot of writers will think about what the character is, but not what the character is not or what the Uh character really wants. And of course, what the character or needs what the character wants and what the character needs are not necessarily the same thing and very they interesting character opposed yeah. juxtapose it exactly so like a character for example in a very simplistic term like a classic character in a romance novel thinks that they want independence but what they actually need is the person that fits them that makes them feel less lonely they just don't realize they're lonely you know so like that's kind of an example of yep. and perhaps they will get independence from whatever it is they need freedom from but it is now with another person now that's the the narrative arc of a romance is to give somebody another person to pair up with you know so like when you have a void in romance, the, the two the voids of the two different characters are fit by those characters. When you're writing anything that's not romance, that void can be satisfied by other things. So all that to say that like thinking about what the character wants and what the character needs are really good ways to yes. give that character a path. And they're also, once you know those things, you can also swart, swart the character as they go along by denying them both what they want and what they need or swapping one for the other as you write the book. Yeah, and if, if you've got uh, a, a story style where the obstacles are more internal, you can have what the character wants be something that prevents them from getting what they need. Especially if it's a low-level want, or the high-level wants can be great, because like a character wants to be like thought of well, but what they need to do is grow. Well, if you want to be thought of well, hard enough, then you're not going to have the humility to admit the inadequacies that you need to be able to admit in order to grow. And so those things can run right up against each other. There's also Um, the kind of one. So like uh, the book I'm currently writing or the series I'm currently working on is technically all about kind of the, well, it's all about many things, but one of the things it's about is the nature of celebrity. And because it's very interesting to me, especially as someone who becomes a visual celebrity famous for how they look or act or what have you, Mm. or sing or um, why you would want that as a person, because I don't want it. And, and, and to me that has to do, and, I'm exploring this with multiple different characters in the series because I'm writing about a group of characters who get together in order to be performers together, want love from strangers. This idea that you want this kind of worship. What drives somebody to want that? Do they really want it? And, or is it another kind of love that they're really seeking? It? And it so that's this idea. For something else, yeah. For something else, some other, like what is the void, in other words, that makes you seek this kind of 
obsession in strangers or in others, you know, and in some cases it is simply, you know, I have a natural talent and I want, it's the thing I'm good at. So I want to do the thing I'm good at. And the fact that it comes packaged with this kind of love is a problem because I don't really want to be a celebrity. I just want to be a singer, kind of that kind of, so, mm-hmm. so I can have those characters in the mix. Your and then JD I have- Sal- These are your J.D. Salinger types. Yes, yes. And then you can also have characters who want, um, who want the, the who, who seek to be loved, who seek to be famous, like the narcissistic sorts of characters and sort of, the, uh, those um, but this is, a, this is a means for me to explore want and need under the context of one concept which is another you know like joy and play you can have as a writer so this is all about the i'm exploring what causes you to want love of the love of the masses and you know demagoguery kind of thing and and so um you know and and but under even under that want and need are these are these two very complicated juxtapositions within the same what what from the outside looks like it's the same desire, but is in fact has all these sort of multiple levels. It's another thing you can do is to have somebody want the wrong aspect of something or think that they want the wrong aspect and what they need is a different aspect of that, mm-hmm. of that core concept. Let's see some other, one of the things that's always been, we talk about developing characters in the sense of coming up with them. One of the things that um, I learned in, uh, drama class in high school has always been really useful to me. The teacher said that a good actor will um, react to things in the play as if it were happening to them. And a great actor will react to things in the drama as if it were happening to the character. So one of the things that I took away from that is every time I create a point of view character, I work very hard to make sure that there are two or three things about them that I have a lot of trouble relating to. Yes, I think that that's great. Yes, that's a great piece of advice. And because I have trouble identifying with it, I have to get into their head instead of making them an extension of my head. And I've found that it's it's kind of elementary, but I still use it. It's still really useful, especially when the character at some point in the narrative skates close to something I can identify with. Then I'll throw in a reference to the trait that I can't identify with as a way of keeping me in that stay in the character's head, don't bring them into mine space. Yeah, I I do exactly the same thing. And occasionally I, I will throw relatively simplistic traits at a character um, that are diametrically opposed to me, just, just as a handle, you know, like, uh, uh, I can't, like, like my main character in this particular series is, is a fantastic singer. Like that's his skill. He's also extremely physically fit. Um, And so, and, and a dancer, and now I can identify with the dancer side of the equation, but I cannot sing to save my life. Uh, it's so <laughs> entertaining road trips, but yes, always, you're you're always dropping a, a fifth to an eighth flat. Yeah, I, I'm a terrible singer. Um, so yeah, uh, that that so so that is like, but that's intentional. Like I chose to do that intentionally because I don't know what the joy is like of making transporting somebody with my voice. Um, so I have to try and figure out what that feels like and why somebody would like it and why somebody would pursue it. 
Um, it, it can even be something really trivial, like something that I've used a few times because it's so trivial and yet it's such a big deal for me is I have a psychotic hatred of eggs. Um, I joke that they're underripe chickens and it's a travesty, but the truth is that my mother was, when I was a kid, was one of those boomers that was on a different fad diet every month. And there was a two or three month stretch where we ate nothing but eggs at every meal. And I went from <laughs> loving sorry. eggs to hating eggs. I can't stand it. So if I've got a character that I'm feeling like I might be getting too close to, they're going to have eggs at dinner, right? <laughs> and yeah. And they're gonna love it. And I'm gonna be sitting there typing it, going, ew, ew, ew. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, so kind of what we're talking about is this idea of, like, I mean, they always talk about writers need to empathize with their characters and really be able to climb into their heads and stuff. But I think both of you, both of us, are kind of touching up on this idea that you also need to. Or, or we both feel compelled to give our characters something that forces us to separate from them and yeah. think about and make sure we remember they aren't us, that it isn't an author's yeah. self in, insert, that this is, that is a character that is different. And we'll, mm-hmm. and we do that, both of us do that because it forces us to then re- have those characters react and behave in ways that are perhaps not germane to our own personalities, right. but is honest to the character mm-hmm. as we conceived them. And that's kind of the point of it, right? And, and yeah, and this might be, it might be an effect of, you know, of all the people I've ever known, you and I are two of the most psychotically high in general trait openness that I've ever known. <laughs> and, but part of that is that we get really bored in our own heads and anything that takes us out into another world is really interesting. That's the escapism of being the writer. I think a lot of writers, particularly in sci-fi fantasy, find that escapism in world building, but you and I both get it also from character. character. Yeah. I get it more from character than from world building. Yeah. I think I'm probably the same. Um, I, I mean, it's really interesting that in my case, my instinct is almost always to lean into character to like, if to make it like a scene more exciting or something, oh, let's put a new character in there. Whereas I feel like, like many like fantasy writers or suspense writers or whatever, will will go for a, you know, a new magical skill set or, or exploding bomb or something like, you know, like put something like, but my inclination is like reveal a new facet of character or introduce a new character. Um, and I think that kind of ties into the same thing. Like I think of it as, as a narrative driver as well, which means that like, I have to know my main character really, really well. The, the one I'm working on right now is three books, single POV too. Like it's all told from one character's point of view. So I have to know him, my main character, so well because, um, although occasionally he'll still surprise me. <laughs> like I just realized in, and we're in third, third book, and this is the joy of writing a series. Is uh, is is that he? Oh, Dan's gone. Dan's gone, but I'm still here, and the Zoom room is still recording. <laughs> I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> Should I keep talking? La la la. See, last I last uh, thing I heard you say was uh, something about uh, in fantasy novels. We were talking about characterization, and we just oh, talked- we were, I'm talking about we were talking about leaning into like right. 
the character and knowing the character and the character being different from ourselves as a tool like that's part of for you and I that's a heavy part of our toolkit and I I feel like other authors may lean into other aspects of being a writer first prior to that like developing the world or adding in a magical system or something like that not to say that I don't also do that but right you were saying that you tend to like to add a new character to the mix when you want to mix things up Uh, or reveal something about an older character or a new character trait or something like that that kind of yeah whereas what I'll tend to do is add a kind of stress to the character that the character that we haven't seen before Mm. and lean into it that way interesting Anyway, right. Well, uh, we've sort of lost my bed about that conversation. So maybe we should get to writing. I hope that answered the question. If we go back yes. and repeat what the question was, make sure that we got everything. The question was, what is your process for developing characters? Developing characters. Yeah, I said giving a void and then having them cope with that void. And I think putting in stressors that play into what their needs and wants are and what they don't have and what they aren't good at is how they the character grows in response to those stressors. Um So, yeah. And those stressors can be both good things and bad things. Like if they come up against something else or someone else that they want almost as much as they initially thought they wanted something else, that is a kind of conflict wanting two things. Yes, for sure. Oh, well, well, I hope that uh, that I found that recording. Um, I had it recording to the cloud, so maybe... It continued recording after you left. So I, I became the host and it told me it was still recording. So... Um, hope. Hopefully, I'll be able to <laughs> retrieve them, even if I have to call Zoom and say, "Help us!" Help, Help us. us! All right, for now, uh, let's help it recorded and uh, get do some writing. Yeah, we'll check back at the end, and we'll hear Kitty's things too. And unfortunately, we were not able to do a post-writing recording because the internet got progressively crazier, crazier, and choppier all day. So we'll have to catch up next time Gail is with us. And meanwhile, Kitty and I will see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.